It's good to see you all. I was telling my wife when I was here during the Victory Conference, uh, and the last time I was here, I said, something's changed. And I said, I looked across the student body, and I didn't know anyone. I said, wow. Now, some of you, you go, why is that such a shock? Because for years, I'd be able to be here, and I knew such a large uh, portion of the student body. Uh, my three oldest children graduated from here, uh, Christy Willis, DJ Willis, and Matt Willis. And then they had, a couple of them ended up snagging wives from here as well. So uh, Abby Saborski and uh, Amanda Ackrett. So, uh, so we did well. Praise the Lord. So <laughs> praise the Lord. So um, BCM is near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. So, but it was very interesting because all of a sudden I realized, ah, I don't know a lot of folks. And I thought, well... I better at least uh, reintroduce myself here. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Chaplain Joe Willis. I'm uh, a chaplain recruiter now. I had the opportunity, the blessing of being a chaplain in the military for about 25 years, most of that reserve time, but then active duty as well for several years. And then uh, once I retired officially back in 2016, uh, the endorsing agency that had endorsed me to be a chaplain in the military for many of those years asked me if I would come and be a part of that still to be their recruiter uh, for the chaplain, uh, uh, military chaplaincy as well, and then also uh, the endorser for that group. Uh, FBFI, Fundamental Baptist Fellowship International, is what it was known for for years, changed its name to Foundations Baptist Fellowship a few years back. Still the same exact organization where a bunch of independent fundamental Baptist preachers, that's who we are, I say that unashamedly, uh, but we're, we're just uh, an extension of the local church, whether it's to the military or to the local community. So we're reaching uh, folks to try to say, hey, have you ever considered whether the military is an opportunity? Wide open harvest field, two million folks strong, but what a mission field in the military. It's a little tougher in this day and age, but you know, by the grace of God, we're still able to do the work that God's called us to do. And then local community, fire department, police department, hospital, hospice, you name it. I was just telling a young man just a little bit ago from the standpoint of you, if you're a, a, a young man that's thinking about going out and starting a church plant somewhere and uh, you want a, a way to be able to reach out to your community very quickly, then look into uh, the police department, fire department, hospital, hospice, and find out whether they have a chaplain that's a part of that organization. Get yourself in there. That'll get you. You'll, you'll know everything about that community pretty quickly and a service to be able to reach out to them. Ladies, let me also just tell you from your perspective. The last couple of years ago, I stumbled upon a, a piece of tr truth that just really it kind of shocked me, scared me, and then it also bothered me greatly. Do you realize that in any local community out there that there is places that guys cannot get into, that, but yet somebody needs to minister to the people in these organizations? Pregnancy crisis centers, domestic abuse centers, the corrections facility. There's a men's side and a lady's side. Have you ever thought about this? Who's ministering to those ladies? Because a lot of guys, they're not able to get in to those organizations. And so the pastor of maybe a church may have a desire to be able to reach out to them, but he's not able to do that. Who's able to do that, though? The ladies are. You know what I found in a lot of churches that I visit? There's ladies in those churches, get this, who actually have a degree in counseling. 
or in some, some aspect of that. Or maybe they're the wife of the pastor. And if you're a wife of a pastor, you probably sat in on a few counseling sessions. True? What are you doing with the counseling that you... And I thought, man, what if we were able to get those ladies of those churches into those facilities to be able to minister? And you know what I hear a lot of them say? Well, we don't have the ability to get in there because, you know, they have all these credentials that they need in order to be able to get in there. And I say, wait a second. That's where we can come in because we're already a nationally organized, nationally recognized endorsing agency. So we have partnered with churches to say, if you are lacking the credentials, let us help you to get the credentials to get in there as long as you have the people that are willing to go in there and serve. We can provide training. We can provide uh, the, the, the certifications, all of those things. So I would just tell you, that, you know, there's the, the, the Bible verse that tells us that the fields are white on the harvest, but the laborers are few. That's true on the lady side as well, to reaching out to other ladies in the community, people who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So my table is in the fellowship hall. If I can be of any assistance or if you'd like any information about any of those things that I said, please stop by, talk to me. And I'll be more than glad to help you with that. Turn to your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I was really um, praying this morning, asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to share with the folks here? And sometimes I don't, I don't want to say that I ever throw a fleece out before the Lord to help confirm sometimes. But uh, I was still had that little fleece out there, Lord, that, I'm not sure. And then all of a sudden, Brother Zimple got up here and started quoting the verse. And I thought, okay, Lord, thank you. You confirmed it when he started talking about, like, the grace is sufficient. Let me just start off with the bottom line up front here from this standpoint before we go to the verse. It, you know, the truth is God's word is amazing, is it not? And if I could do one thing here this morning, if you don't walk away from anything else, just take this to heart. We need to be in the word of God every single day. We need to be encouraged in the word of God. We need to be lifted up in the word of God. And if I could and encourage you to say this, it's not only the aspect of being in your devotions, but let me just go a step further. How many of you are actively memorizing the word of God on a daily basis in some way, shape, or form? Would you raise your hand? Raise them high. Come on, be, be happy. Be, how many of you are not? Can I challenge you with something? We all need to be actively involved in, in some sort of memorizing of God's word on a daily basis. Hiding God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. But I got to tell you something. It's much more than just the aspect of not sinning against God. How many of us need the word of God on a daily basis? How many of us need God on a daily basis? Okay, now let me tell you, is there an importance of memorizing God's word and needing that word on a daily basis? Yes. But here's our problem. Sometimes we think, but Brother Willis, I'll always have access to my Bible. I'm good. Is that true or false? It's false. Years ago, back in 1986, yes, there was a time back in 86, me and Moses were about like this. <laughs> But back in 1986, by the grace of God, a young sergeant invited me to a revival meeting in Nuremberg, Germany. And by the grace of God, the second night of that revival meeting, I got saved. 
I got to tell you, the, the work that the Lord did in my heart during that time was just amazing. And I began to grow, and I began to have a zeal for the things of God. But not only to be in the Word of God, but to share the Word of God. And I wanted to tell everybody about Christ. It got me in trouble a few times in the military because I wasn't a chaplain back then. I was a different MOS. So, you know, some people didn't like that. The chemical officers out telling people about Christ again. Stop it, you know. But here's something that bothered me. One day during a field training exercise, I was uh, out in the field with a soldier, and I was telling him about Christ. And lo and behold, I had my little tiny field Bible in my hand, and I had it laid out on the hood of my Jeep. There was a Jeep back then. And I had it on that Jeep, and I was talking to the soldier about Christ. And lo and behold, something happened that I didn't expect. The sun went down. And when the sun went down, I couldn't read my Bible anymore. And so immediately I turned on my flashlight and somebody went, turn off that light. Because you can't have a light out in the dark in the field training exercise. And you know what happened? I wasn't able to share anymore. Other than my testimony, I wasn't able to read from the word of God and share with him the verses that I was wanting to share him. How many of you say that's a sad thing? And you know what? All of a sudden, I re- all of a sudden, the Lord just absolutely laid on my heart. I got to have those words hidden in my mind and in my heart. So the next time the sun goes down, I'll still have the word of God to where I'm able to share it with him. Is that important? See, that was just a little reminder from God's perspective of how important it is to be able to have the Word of God memorized to the point to where we're able to not only just to share the gospel, but also we might find ourselves in a situation to where all of a sudden the only thing that we can do is to pull up Scripture that we have hidden right here. Brother Willis, why is that important? How many of you remember that we've gone through this thing called covid Anybody in here had it? Pretty much all of us at some point. And it's interesting because some got it and it was like just a little cold, little, little sneeze, little cough, little stuff like that. Other people on the other end of the perspective, uh, other end of that uh, spectrum died from it. My father-in-law passed away from COVID back in 2021. At one point back in August, last week of July, first two weeks of August, Everybody in my family, with the exception of that guy back there, all had COVID at the exact same time. Man, it was devastating. We have a disabled daughter at our home, Caitlin. She got it. I mean, it it was one of those times to where everybody had it. My daughter, Christy, came home to take care of of my daughter. My wife got it so bad, she ended up hospitalized for over a week in ICU. My mother-in-law got it. She was in the hospital. Uh, My father-in-law got it. He was in the hospital. He died. Uh, All everybody else got it. I got it. I'm going to tell you what. It is the sickest I've ever been in my life. No kidding. I'm not making a joke. There was a time to where I told that young man back there, I started telling him important information like bank accounts, insurance stuff, things of that nature, because I really believed I'm not going to make it. I was so sick. I laid in the bed. I, could, I had a migraine. It was so bad. It was so bad. I couldn't even stand the light, let alone to read or anything of that nature. I couldn't even walk. I mean, to get up, to just walk, 
to just go back and forth to the bathroom. And so I had to have somebody literally hold me up to help me. It was that bad. But I'm going to tell you, I just, I remember a time to where I cried out to God and I said, God, help me through this. And the only thing that I could, and it was amazing because in the midst of that, all of a sudden, even though I could not read my Bible at that time, get this, all of these verses that I had been memorizing just began to flood my soul and to flood my mind. And I got to tell you, it was such a blessing. But there's one verse that stuck out that when I cried out to God and I said, Lord, help me through this, it was this passage right here that literally helped me to get through that entire process. To where all of a sudden this verse, for my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, for, for, for my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, we think so many times when I think of that verse, I think of, you know, here's Paul, and here he has this infirmity. Isn't it always amazing that we don't know specifically what that infirmity was of Paul? I mean, there's people who speculate. Maybe it's an eye problem or it was some other problem. But, you know, I got to stop, and I thought about this once before afterwards. I thought, you know what? I'm glad that God didn't tell me what Paul's infirmity was. You know why? Because then I would think that, well... This passage is only sufficient for that infirmity. I'm so glad that God left it generic enough that it covers any infirmity, any tribulation, any trial that we're able, that we are going through or may go through. You know, something I found out about tribulation and trials, here's here's a reality. Either you've gone through one, you're going through one, or you're going to go through one. And I would tell you this, you better be prepared when you're going to go through one. And so many times I feel that maybe we're not as prepared when we're in the middle of those trials. And then when we're in them, we're scurrying and going, Lord, what do I do? Here's one of those times where the Lord says, I've got an answer for you. And I will tell you that as I was sick laying in that bed and I just remembered I was able to quote this verse and just the peace that flooded my soul from this verse of just reminding or remembering what the Lord had promised to Paul, but what he also promised to each one of us. Because, you know, what did Paul do? Paul did only what he knew was natural to do, which he had always done in his life from the time that he met the Lord out there on the road to Damascus. And from that time forward, here's what he did. He just basically depended upon the Lord through faith. And he cried out in faith to the Lord and said, Lord, this infirmity that I'm going through, this is tough. This is painful, whatever it was. But it's interesting. We know the story. The Lord didn't take the infirmity away, did he? But he gave him something a whole lot better, the grace to go through and to sustain through the infirmity. Amen? Because you know what I found? That's exactly where I was back during that three weeks with the COVID. I was praying, Lord, take it away. But the Lord said, no, I'm just going to help you to get through it. And I didn't know what get through it was. 
Because there was a time to where get through it may have been to meet the Lord on his doorstep. But I would have been grateful if that was the case as well, or if he saw fit to see me through it. But either way, I knew this, his, his grace was sufficient. And I love this passage because as you start digging into it, you see some truths that, you know, what was Paul's response as he went to God in faith? And we see this passage here and and we see first and foremost that the response that God gave to Paul was very personal to Paul. If you see that, what do you mean? Well, look at the verse. He prayed to God and God gave him a very personal answer when he said that when he said that, that my grace is sufficient. He said unto me, first of all, personal pronoun. And then he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not Paul, but I can tell you what, that verse became very personal to me. To where when I understood that not only was that grace of God sufficient for Paul, but that grace is sufficient for me today. Let me ask you this. Is that, is that verse true for you today? Is God's grace sufficient for you personally today? Yes, it is. See, here's the reality. I don't know what trial or tribulation or anything that you may be going through. There may be some things that some of you are going through right now that you've not told anybody else about. No one else in here. But you've told it to God. And God will help you. I guarantee you, this is where one of these verses, it just comes out to where God says, I've got an answer for you. And it's personal for you today. And what did he say is what did he say that I'm going to give you my grace. And also he says to you it is sufficiently. It is sufficient. I already kind of said this but instead of removing Paul's thorn from his life God would keep giving him this grace that he would be able to sustain whatever issue had come into his life. Paul was desperate in his desires to find release from from this burden. But there are two ways of relief that I found. It can come by removing the load from off of us, removing the infirmity, or it can also come by strengthening the shoulder to be able to bear up the load. And to know this, I'm not the one that's carrying the load. It's the Lord who's carrying the load. Thus, his grace is sufficient to be able to allow him to carry that burden and load in our life. Amen? So we look at that from that standpoint. This was the response that God gave to Paul. And whether Paul thought, Lord, that's not the answer I was looking for. But God gave him the best thing that he needed. Instead of taking the infirmity away, he just gave him the shoulders to be able to bear the load to carry through. And we know something about this. That not only was that response personal, and it was the best thing, but it was a powerful response. Think about the power. Have you ever thought about, you know, we, sometimes we look at the grace of God and we try to, to capture that with a definition. But have you ever noticed how difficult it seems to be to define the grace of God? Anybody else? I mean, even as we talk about the aspect of charis and, and, and this unmerited favor of God, you know, from that standpoint. And yes, that's true. But does that do justice to encapsulate the power of the grace of God? And I think not. How powerful is the grace of God? Well, it's powerful enough 
to take an individual who is completely separated from God, who is actually an enemy of God, and to justify that individual, to bring him through the aspect of righteousness, which we have all throughout the book of Romans. And we see that it is, it is, it, we see that this grace is so powerful that it saves a soul from hell. Now, how powerful is that? And that even, that just barely even scratches the surface of the entirety of all that's encompassed by the grace of God. What power is there? But yet God says, oh, by the way, that grace is the grace that I'm giving you, not only for salvation, but I'm giving you that grace to be able to bear up, to be able to do all that you've been called to do, to be able to, to, to be sufficient enough to be able to come through these burdens, through these infirmities, which is why he said, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient literally is just means the idea it's complete. You need absolutely nothing else with it. You don't need to add anything to the grace of God, just like we don't do that for salvation, do we? Is, is the grace of God sufficient to save your soul? Amen. We don't need to add anything to it. It's sufficient. God says the same thing about the grace that's able to help us during these times of infirmity. It's sufficient. And I love that because when he says in here in verse 9, he says, my grace is sufficient. My power, my strength. By the way, reach out and think about this. This is God's grace. This is God's power from that standpoint. How powerful is God? Is there anything that God cannot do? But yet he's powerful enough even from the standpoint of providing us this grace to be able to go through whatever infirmity that we may go through. This word strength for my, and then he says for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I thought, that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Those are two total ends of the perspective there, the spectrum. But yet we find that that's exactly what God says. When is God's strength sufficient? When is it complete? When I've come to the end of my rope, to the standpoint of my weakness and say, God... I can't do it. I can't bear this up. I can't do this in my own power. You know, sometimes I'm thinking that God may be just waiting for us to say, God, I'm giving it to you. But why is it that we always wait until we've tried everything in our own power first? When that should be the opposite. It should be the first place that we go. It should be the first stop that we come to. To cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm not going to try this in man's strength. I'm not going to try this in my strength. I'm not going to try this with my money. I'm not going to try this with my effort. I'm just going to first and foremost give it directly to you. And come to the realization, I can't do it. But I know that you can. Amen? Because that's where it all begins. God says, I was just waiting. I was just waiting for you to give it to me. And when we do, we see that his strength is complete and it's perfect. It's interesting because when this idea of, you know, when we say it's sufficient, it's the idea of, of it's not just complete, but it's that which satisfies and reaches a goal. 
Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to stop and I, I ponder upon the word of God a little bit. And I think, now, what does that mean? I've reached the goal. How many of you guys in here are sports fans? Anybody? You know, isn't it amazing? I, do, do you get excited when all of a sudden a goal is scored or something like that? Whether it's basketball or football. Or, anybody in here get excited? Your team has just scored the winning touchdown. And you sit on the couch and go, that's good. <laughs> no, you don't. You go, woo! I remember years ago, there was a guy, um, he was a commentator for the Brazilian soccer team. Anybody know this guy? Because he, he's known around the world because every time that the soccer team would score, he would do this. For an hour, you know, <laughs> never taking a breath. You know what I mean? I think he was excited that his team had scored. Can I help you with something? That's the idea of this word here. When God says, my sufficient is complete. Score! I got everything I need to be able to get through this infirmity or, or God's answer to that question from that state. It is complete. Goal scored. I don't need anything else. Does that help you? To understand from God's perspective when he said, it's done. You don't need anything else. But then all of a sudden we see that there's, a, there's an adjustment of an attitude that comes about this. And we see Paul's response to God's response. And what was Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Whoa! Paul, weren't you just calling out to God to remove this? Yes, but God gave me something a whole lot better. And I'm able to glory, boast in the fact that God has given me something. Yeah, I still have the infirmity, but you know what? Even in the infirmity, I can say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Because I know that even with this infirmity, you're here with me. And you're providing the grace that I need in order to get through this. It's interesting because there's kind of a play on words when you study this out because the same word is strength up in the first half and the I aspect of most gladly, therefore, I glory in the, in, from the power of Christ. These are exact same words, strength and power. The idea of weakness and infirmity, they're exact same word in the Greek. And it's almost kind of like there's a play on both sides here. Here's God's strength. Here's my strength. Here's God's power. Here's my power. And you see here how that God just emphasizes this, that the power of Christ may indeed rest upon me this sufficiently. He said, most gladly I will boast, I will rejoice in this infirmity. Uh, when's the last time you were able to say that? You know, Lord, this trial, this is really big. Praise the Lord for this trial. That's not normally what we say, is it? That's not normally our answer. I got to tell you, when I was laying there in the bed with the COVID, I wasn't saying, praise the Lord for this COVID, Lord. But I got to a point where I was able to say, but thank you 
that even in the midst of this, you've given me the grace to be able to sustain through it. Amen? It's all about our perspective when it comes to that. We can get into this, woe is me. We're all good at that, by the way. Oh, my pain, my suffering. I got a bunion. Oh, my word. <laughs> and tell everybody about it. Interesting, but are we quick to tell the Lord about it and allow him to be able to provide the grace to continue on through the infirmity or the trial and then to be able to look at him and say, Lord, when have we got to the point of saying, Lord, thank you for this trial? How can I say that? Because if it wasn't for this trial, I may have never cried out to God to begin with. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the Lord has to bring some trials and tests into our lives to the point where we will even acknowledge him? Isn't that terrible? You would think as born-again believers, as children of God, that that would be first and foremost on our heart, that we would cry out to God, that we would make him first place in our life every single day of our life. But we don't. True or false? And sometimes it's amazing that as the Lord allows some things to come into our life, all of a sudden it changes our perspective. And then we cry out. That shouldn't be the case, but sadly it is. And then all of a sudden I close with this thought here, but, and I know it's just a simple thought, but what is he, when he says that the power of Christ may rest upon me, that's an interesting phrase, by the way, because when you see that the power, that same word power is the same word strength above, that that power may rest upon me. Again, personal. As I was studying through that, this idea of rest has the same idea of, to, of a word that we're familiar with in another context. But it has the idea of that the power of, of Christ may rest, may tabernacle upon me. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of draws a lot of connotations back to my mind. Because what do you think of when you think of the tabernacle of God? Immediately, my mind goes back to this Old Testament, to the aspect of Moses and, and all the tent and everything that was set up and, and how all of the furniture and everything was in there. And, and even from the standpoint of the division of the holy and the most holy and, and then what occupied the most holy, the Ark of the Covenant. And then, oh, by the way, what took place there? The mercy seat and, and all the, the representation of the future of the symbolism of Christ to come. But immediately, as soon as the tabernacle was completely finished, what happened? All of a sudden, when God saw it and he saw that it was good, his, his, his glory filled the tabernacle. We call it the Shekinah glory of God, remember? But his glory filled the tabernacle. And immediately, no man was able to be in his presence and the glory of God and his strength and his power and all of that was, was present right there with the children of God. That's the picture I conjure up with what Paul was saying. For when I see that God's grace is sufficient and I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may tabernacle with me. And there's that Shekinah glory. There's that power. There's that strength that all just floods me 
But oh, by the way, wasn't it there to begin with? Yes or no? Yes. Because if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit of God already dwells within you and you already have the glory of God and you have all of the strength that you need and you have his presence and you have his power. You have it. But how often do we think of that that way? I already have your power. I already have your strength. I already have your presence. And today, it rests within me. But we don't always reach back to sufficiently utilize it to the way that God would have us to do so. Amen? Amen. But it was during that infirmity that all of a sudden it became a reality, and Paul's able to see what God had said to him how that that power is tabernacling with him. And what did it do? It changed his whole perspective to say, I can glory, I can rejoice in the fact that this infirmity has brought out the fact that that power rests within me even at this very moment. God's grace is sufficient. But see that the thing that Paul had to understand in the end, Paul had to do four things. If I could real quick here, Paul did four things. First, he had to recognize his position and that there was a problem. He realized it was beyond him to fix. I can't take this thing away on my own. He had to humble himself, which become his weakness, so that God's strength could be empowered. And then by faith, he had to accept that grace. It's there. And it's available for us. But sometimes we just have to remember, it's there for me to accept that I'm able to do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Oh, yes, through the grace of God. Amen? So we see all this. <clears throat> Sad to say, as I work with a, I'm, I'm a Sunday school teacher in, at my home church, and I don't know why all of a sudden I got relegated to the senior adults. I don't know how that happened. But I got relegated to the senior adults. And I will tell you this, that many times people talk about this aspect of Christian maturity. And it's almost that some people have this mindset that, you know what, as I get old enough in the Christ and I get mature enough in the, Christ, in, in the Lord, it's when all of a sudden it's, it's to the point to where I become so mature in my faith that I'm independent of God's power and strength. How many of you think that that's a real foolish statement? But it's amazing. Sometimes I, I work with folks who get to the mindset of thinking that they start getting so mature in their Christian faith that now that they can do things without God. And I say, that's foolishness. If there's one thing that I've learned as I've gotten more mature in my Christian walk is how much more I need God on a daily basis. And as we get mature, it should not cause us to be more separated from God. It should only draw us closer him with each step that we take in our Christian walk in our maturity I would say that when people get to that point they're not they're not mature in their Christian walk at all and it actually becomes a debilitating thing to them that causes them to get further and further away from God 
I also run into a lot of Christians who have the mindset of thinking that, hey, you know what, as I get stronger in my Christian faith, that, that life here on earth is going to get easier and easier. Can I tell you? I have not found that place yet. I've not found that it gets easier and easier. Matter of fact, the, the burdens never stop, it seems like. But even though the burdens never stop, and even though things in this world continue to get more and more chaotic, have you read the paper today? It's chaos out there. And it's not nice even to the aspect of Christianity, but I found something true in my life. Regardless of what's taking place, I can have an inner peace inside that God provides to me, you know, through what? Through his grace. And I learned this, that grace is sufficient. It's complete. It's the goal. If we would just humble ourselves to say, Lord, I need that grace today. I need you today. Matter of fact, without you, I don't think I can keep going. Some of these trials are big. Some of these tests are huge. And Lord, right now, I need that grace more than ever. Anybody like that in here today? Besides me? I need it every day. Sometimes we just need to stop and cry out to God and say, God, I give this over to you because I know that your grace is sufficient. And just stop and let that become the power so that it's complete of all that we need to get, maybe not out of the infirmity, but to get us through it.